Okay, we're uh, we're back at it. Many guys who aren't from Oklahoma, Bernie, you have no idea. We don't like them. It's personal. How about them Cowboys? Yeah. So we won Oklahoma, and it was state, and it was state. We are back at it. Welcome back to another edition of the Pistols Firing Podcast. I'm Carson Cunningham, joined as always by Colby Powell. It's championship weekend, baby. Colby, you fired up? I am fired up. It's championship weekend. I actually sneaky like the 11 o'clock kick on championship weekend. I'm going to wake up. I'm going to get around, have a nice morning, hang out with my daughter. I'm going to turn the TV on at 11 o'clock. And by 2.30, my uh, real emotional investment in championship Saturday is over. And then I can just kick back and enjoy some football. So I'm I'm actually uh, sneaky kind of in love with the 11 a.m. championship Saturday kick. It's so funny you said that because I saw the graphic of all the kick times on Saturday and I was like so happy that it was 11 a.m. Because could you imagine having the seven o'clock kick just waiting for that to kick off on Saturday? That would be excruciating. Yeah, it's going to be a long, long day. Like for Florida State fans, one and a half point favorites and everything rides on beating Louisville without your starting quarterback. (laughs) It's going to be a long day. Uh, Not so much for Michigan and Iowa, which are getting that prime TV slot at seven because people really want to watch Michigan and Iowa. Oh, yeah. Shout out to um, Dave Hudson. OKC Dave does the OSU survey every year. He texted me this week and said that, you know, he uses this website called BCF Toys. It's a very analytical stats-based website on college football. And they do projections for each game and points scored for each team, really every number you can think of. They project Iowa to score negative one point against Michigan. (laughs) That's how bad. (laughs) You know, I've had some takes that have aged terribly. That Iowa take for me has aged like a vintage $100,000 bottle of wine. It really has. Yeah, so Michigan's a 21-and-a-half-point favorite with an over-under of 35. So that has the final score. What would that be? 38 and uh, 38-7? Yeah, no, no, 28-7. Pardon me, 28-7. I misspoke. Um, Yeah, their team total for a conference championship game is a touchdown. And they might not make it. They really might not. No, they they probably won't. I'd be surprised they scored a touchdown, honestly. Um, I don't think you get a scoop and score or a pick six, a punt return, maybe a blocked field goal. One of those things. Well, that's what it would take. It wouldn't be from their offense. We know that. Yeah. But, uh, All drive. But yeah, I mean, Colby, I mean, this game has been talked about so much this week between Oklahoma state and Texas. And it's, it's kind of become just an echo chamber because it's pretty simple matchup on paper. I mean, we all know how good Texas has been. We all know they're trying to play their way into the playoff. We all know Oklahoma state has struggled the last few weeks, even in wins. But I, I've got a lot of um, numbers here to back up the case for Oklahoma State coming into this game. But I think it's important to note, Colby, just how slow OSU has started the last two weeks. Uh, they have been outscored in the first half 47-25 to 25 in the first halves against Houston and BYU. But they've outscored them in the second half 58-17. to 17. That, to me, is something that cannot happen against Texas. I mean, you're able to squeak it out against the Houstons of the world, the BYUs of the world. First and foremost, Colby, they absolutely have to not get behind the way they have with, you know, pick sixes, silly mistakes, things of that nature. Oh, 100%. The mistakes early in games have been killer. Whenever you have pick sixes uh, a couple of weeks in a row, just 
putting yourself behind the eight ball early on. And those are mistakes that you can come back from against Houston and against BYU. Those are mistakes that will get you beat against Texas. I, I will say, I, I always think I'm a big uh, proponent, as people who listen to this podcast know, of the emotional aspect of the game. It's why I just totally wrote off the UCF game as a fluke. I, I will say the the first halves of Houston, uh, really first quarter and a half of Houston, and then the first half of the BYU game, I saw an Oklahoma State team that was playing very tight, an Oklahoma State team that was playing like it had something to lose, like they were protecting this lead that all of a sudden they had on their season. And um, and now Oklahoma State is all of a sudden the underdog, and they get to be David, and they get to try to play spoiler. And for whatever reason, Mike Gundy's teams have seemed to thrive in that scenario a bit more. So um, maybe that's just the the subconscious orange glasses that I'm wearing, but I really think that Mike Gundy's teams have played better as underdogs than as favorites. No, I mean, his his record against ranked opponents and his record against the spread is is top-notch. And I, w- I will say this, too. Like, when you talk about Texas and the things you just mentioned, it is an emotional game. This is the biggest game Texas will have played in more than a decade. And I keep saying it, and I'll keep saying it. When you get to November and your season is on the line – it changes things when you're the favorite. And I think you're right. I think you've seen that from Oklahoma State. And I think what you're mentioning, Colby, just point back to the Bedlam game. I fully expect Oklahoma State to come out as aggressive as they were against Oklahoma. They have to. Mike, Mike's not stupid. He knows that his team is not as talented as Texas top to bottom. And I think Texas clearly will be much like Oklahoma, focusing on Ollie Gordon. So I, I don't know how you feel. I, I, I get a lot of optimism just from that, and I fully expect Oklahoma State to come out exactly with the same level of intensity, uh, the same level of grit that they came out against with Oklahoma in this game. And I, it's totally different setting than going to Orlando to play UCF. Like you mentioned, this is a big 12 championship. The Longhorn logos on the other sideline. I expect them to come out and play exactly like they did against Oklahoma. And I expect the offense to operate much more similarly to that than we saw against BYU. Cause you and I mentioned on the last show, They weren't using very much motion against BYU. They kind of fell into some of those traps they fell into in September where they thought, okay, we're better than this team. We're favored by 17 points. We're going to hand it off to Ollie, and we're going to be just fine. And they realized second half, we got to start throwing it around a little bit here. So I'm so with you. The mindset, I hope and I expect it to mirror the Bedlam game. Yeah, I I can't sit here and guarantee that Oklahoma State's going to have success early in this game offensively, but I think it is almost a guarantee that they are going to come out with a creative offense, with guys moving around, trying to confuse Texas defensively, to get guys into space, to get Ollie Gordon some room to work, to to get these crazy, just huge, fast, strong defensive linemen that Texas has up front. I'm looking at the first team, all Big 12 list here. There's five defensive linemen, first team, all Big 12. Two of them are Longhorns. Like they've, they've got a linebacker on that list as well. The front seven of Texas physically, uh, I think we'll have a chance to push Oklahoma State around uh, Saturday in Arlington. But you can do th- some things creatively in the quick passing game, getting Ollie Gordon on the edge a little bit to kind of offset that and get those guys back on their heels. And w- will it work? I don't know if it'll work. I, I think Texas has a legitimately 
Very good defense. Um, I don't know if it'll work, but I do think it's going to be much more of a kitchen sink approach, like what we saw against Oklahoma, than like last week when I mentioned after the fumble on the first drive of the game for BYU, they've got the ball at the six-yard line first and goal. They lined up three straight plays, no motion, hand it off to Ollie, and he runs into a wall three times. I don't think we're going to see much of that Saturday against Texas because, like you said, Mike Gundy's a great coach. He's very smart. He knows that they're going to be outmanned in the trenches. How do you coach around that? Um, you, you get a little bit cute. You get creative. You move guys around, and you try to confuse the defense. I think we'll see much more of that from Oklahoma State. Yeah, I, I have some numbers to back up, you know, kind of the matchup there between the defense and Ollie Gordon. But I, I think it's important to note, too, coming into a Big 12 championship scene, uh, atmosphere, game, it's totally different, and there's history to back this up. Uh, I've got some history lessons for you here. Back in 1996, Nebraska was a 20-and-a-half-point favorite over Texas. Longhorns won by 10, 37-27. Kansas State in 2000 – or uh, Kansas State in 1998 was a 17-point favorite over A&M. Aggies won in overtime. OU was a 14-point favorite over Kansas State in 03. They lost 35-7. I'm not done. 2009. Uh, number three ranked Texas against 21st ranked Nebraska. They won by one point. 2010, OU won by three against Nebraska. Uh, 2017, OU blew out TCU. 2018, Oklahoma won by double digits against Texas. But really, Colby, the last one, two, three, four years is really telling for me. 2019, sixth ranked Oklahoma, seventh ranked Baylor. OU won by seven. 2020, uh, sixth ranked Iowa State, 10th ranked Oklahoma. Oklahoma won uh, by six. OSU was ranked fifth in the country in 2021. They lost to number nine, Baylor, another upset. 2022, Kansas State upset number three ranked TCU, 31-28. Those are pretty big spreads in a lot of those. Uh, some of them are two touchdown spreads like we're seeing with Oklahoma State. There's a reason for that. It's what you've mentioned, that you're playing for your entire season, and, and Texas has that added wrinkle that Oklahoma State had against Baylor, where you're not only playing for a Big 12 championship, you're playing to go to the playoff. So if you're looking for reasons for optimism, for me, number one, without a doubt, is the fact this is the Big 12 championship game at a neutral site where upsets can and have happened more often than not in this game. Uh, yeah, I think the most shocking thing you you said there was that Nebraska was as relevant as recently as 2010. It feels much much longer ago than that. Well, they were playing the Big Big uh, 12 North. They got to beat up on some rum-dums up there. Let's not give them too much credit. Right. Fair enough. Um, Yeah, no, that's a a lot of great stuff you just rattled off there. And and it's the emotional element of this game that I think people want to throw out the window sometimes when we analyze these things. The the pressure of having everything to lose, man, that's something. Look at how BYU came out last week. Yes, they're playing to get into a bowl game, but come on, they, they... they were playing like they had nothing to lose. And Oklahoma State just came out so tight, and it nearly cost them their season. Imagine how much differently we're sitting here talking today if Oklahoma State's 8-4 and four and OU and Texas are playing in the Big 12 championship game. Like, that is what was at stake. That affected Oklahoma State mentally, emotionally in that first half. BYU was going crazy with the surprise onside kick and the fake punt. And all of a sudden, you find yourself down 24-6. to six. At halftime, I don't think Oklahoma State's going to be up by three touchdowns at halftime, but I do think that they're going to be very competitive in this game. Uh, I think Texas is a very good team, but I do want to be careful uh, anointing them as some great 
college football team in 2023. Their marquee win, obviously, is at Alabama. It's one of the hardest wins to get in college football over the last 15 years is to win in Tuscaloosa, and they did it. I don't want to take anything away from that victory, but let's look at Alabama in September, and let's look at Alabama as we now head into December. Two very different football teams. They didn't even know who their quarterback was at the time. And now you've got this kid out here throwing a dart to the back pylon of the end zone on fourth and goal from the 30 with their season on the line. Very different teams. A lot's happened since then. Uh, Texas looked insanely impressive last uh, on Black Friday against Texas Tech. I I will say, Carson, I don't know if this is anything you've thought about, but I've certainly thought about it. Texas comes in on a full day of extra rest. And Oklahoma State went two overtimes in an absolute battle to beat BYU. Any concerns over endurance with with Texas, I think, probably going to come into this game more fresh than Oklahoma State? Yeah, I I think a certain aspect of freshness is involved there, which you mentioned. Not only did did OSU go to double overtime, I mean, Texas won in a complete blowout, beating Tech by nearly 50. But I will say, Xavier Worthy, their stud receiver, the speedster, was on crutches at one point. He limped off the field like three, four times, and he was still in the game when they were up big. I'm curious to see how hey. healthy he is. Real, real uh, quick, absolutely insane. I saw him get carried off the field, basically, when they were up <laughs> like 29 to 7. And then I see him scoring a touchdown when they're up 36 to 7. Why is he back out there? He got carried off the field twice. I It was malpractice, pretty much. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. Um, no, that, 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 that to me is something worth watching. And yeah, I think you get to this point in the year though, Colby, everyone's beat up, everyone's tired. So the full day will definitely help Texas, but I, I don't think it's a decider in the game, but, um, is Malik Murphy, their backup quarterback? Is he hurt at all? I thought I heard he was hurt, but I think he came in that game. I can't really recall. I've been to yeah, look that up. Yeah. return to practice earlier this week. He's expected to be, be available if they okay. need him. Well, I was, I was hopefully he wasn't cause then. You know, you're one play away from Arch Manning taking the field. <laughs> and they're trying to preserve his red shirt, I'm sure. So, which I guess he hadn't played, so it wouldn't matter. But anyway, I, you'd much rather be playing against Arch Manning than Quinn Ewers or certainly uh, Malik Murphy as well. So, uh, you want to know my number? I have a couple of things here. You want to hear my top couple things for optimism besides the Big 12 championship scenario? I would love to hear your top couple things. You know, Steve Sarkeesian, obviously one of the great minds in college football. I think it was it was shocking really to watch how he was running circles around Alabama back in September. Just it, they had no answers for his play calling. And, and certainly I certainly have a ton of respect for that, but he kind of falls into the Jeff Levy OU coordinator problem where he gets a little too cute. He tries to run these jet sweeps. He tries to get a little too cute when he gets to the red zone. Did you know, Texas is 105th in the country in red zone offense. They are dead last in the nation in touchdown percentage when in the red zone, just 44% of red zone attempts have turned into touchdowns for this for this year's Longhorns. So for me, Colby, if you just don't let Texas get the the giant chunk plays, which have been a let's face it, a bugaboo for Oklahoma State in the safety position, if you don't let them just throw some bombs on you or, or you have some big you know chunk plays, if you get them in the red zone, I really like Oklahoma State's chances of holding them to to field goals. Will will it be easy? Of course not. It's Texas, but they don't have their starting running back. He's out for the rest of the year. They've really, really struggled in the red zone. And you get into a lower scoring affair and a championship type scenario. This game to me, Colby, will be won and lost in the red zone. OSU, they're 47th in the country offensively in red zone. Uh, OSU's red zone defense is 70th to Texas is 105th. So neither are great on, on that side of the ball. 
but Texas is second in the country in red zone defense. So that, there's a big dichotomy there with Texas defense versus OSU's. But I, I just think when you get into championship scenarios, holding teams to field goals, that wins you the game. Yeah, I didn't realize Texas was so poor in the red zone. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. That's certainly not a glowing stat for Quinn Ewers, who I think by all accounts has had a great season. But when the field shrinks, uh, they're not getting the ball into the end zone. And that's not a great stat for your quarterback to have on his resume. Um, I, I don't know how many, how many times Oklahoma State can prevent that big play, not just because Oklahoma State has struggled with that, but because Texas has – Dudes out there at skill positions. You mentioned Xavier Worthy. He's all Big 12 first team. Uh, Jatavian Sanders, the, the just big, massive, great tight end. First team, all Big 12. I, I don't know who Oklahoma State is going to match up with him in coverage. Uh, even the, the offensive newcomer of the year, a receiver down in Texas, Adonai Mitchell. So, um, yes, you want to stop the big play. You want to force them to turn long drives into touchdowns in the red zone, in goal-to-go situations. I don't know how realistic that is for a defense that's given up a ton of big plays with a quarterback that can throw it a mile and uh, a bunch of, of grade A skill players. Texas really has, has assembled a nice roster this year. Um, I, I think if I think maybe if you only get beat once or twice on a long one, we've seen Oklahoma State's defense survive that at times throughout the season. Uh, and it's one of those things where the long plays, they hurt in the moment. But then whenever you zoom out at the end of the game and you look at the box score and you're looking at number of plays run, that's how many times your defense was on the field, right? You look at time of possession. That's just more plays that they're having to defend, that you're not having to defend, less of a rhythm that they're getting in, more of a rhythm that you're getting in. So if you get beat once or twice deep in this game, I don't think it's the end of the world because we've seen that happen to Oklahoma State and they've recovered nicely in those situations. Yeah, and I think Oklahoma State's been great in short yardage situations you just think they're number one in the country in fourth down defense they've allowed just four of 23 attempts and i think sark you know texas needs to make a bit of a statement here because they they don't get to play oklahoma a higher ranked team they're on the outside looking at the playoff right now that's kind of a an aspect you're not used to in a championship game scenario looking for style points so i think texas could get out a little over their skis going for it on fourth down too and oklahoma state's been great in that aspect so that's another reason for optimism. But, you know, it's it's so cliche winning the turnover battle, but it's a cliche for a reason. And OSU's defense has produced 18 turnovers in the last eight games. They're 9-0 and when they win or tie the turnover battle. So for me, Colby, red zone defense and fourth down defense, which they've been the best in the country at, they're going to have to win the turnover battle as well, which they've they've done a really good job of too. And, and you, you said it, Quinn Ewers, I mean, he's he's a good player. He he can turn it over. I mean, he threw he threw a few picks against Oklahoma. So that's those are some real for me uh, reasons for optimism. And I, I mentioned short short yardage. Texas has not been good on third down this year, converting just thirty six percent of their attempts. They're ninety third in the country in third down offense. So I I'm with you, Colby. Factoring in those numbers, and even without factoring in those numbers, to me Texas is a very very good team. I don't view them in the same light as the teams that are in the top four right now. I think they're properly ranked. I think they're certainly close to that caliber, but they're not. So, and I'm not sitting here saying I'm predicting Oklahoma State to win. I'm just, if you're an Oklahoma State fan, there are reasons Oklahoma State can win this game. And those numbers I just listed are, 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 are a big reason why. 
yeah, this isn't Georgia. You know, this isn't the, the fighting Connor Stallions who, despite the cheating, I do think have a very good team this year. This isn't one of those teams. This is the next tier, right? You've got the elites of the elites up top. And I do think that Texas is in that next tier this year. Um, I, I think the Red River game was very fluky. There were balls getting batted all over the place. Um, there were weird plays. It's a rivalry game, a lot of emotion. Those things can go either way. I think Texas has had probably the best season uh, since 2009. I think you'd have to say it. Um, and, and we'll see how they finish it off because obviously the Ellinger year where he said that they were back finished on a high. So we'll see if Texas can finish this thing off. But I do think that there is some reason for optimism for Oklahoma State. I, I also think as a fan base, there's a there's a house money feeling, right? Like you didn't blow it against Houston. You didn't blow it against BYU. Oklahoma is not here. They're, they're, they're still in tears somewhere. Um, I, I think that there's fe this feeling amongst the fan base that, hey, if we win, that is epic. And if we lose, ah, you know, what a great year after the start that, that everything went down in September. Um, I think the team is going to feel not necessarily to that extent, but I think they're going to feel some of that too, and Texas is going to feel the pressure. Um, this spread, Carson, so, somebody told me they saw it open at 14. I looked Sunday morning. On the site that I that I play, I don't play much, um, but I looked and it was 11 on Sunday morning, and I'm staring at a 15 and a half point line right now in favor of Texas. I, I don't know where all that money has come from. I don't know what has caused the line to move that dramatically, but I just think that's entirely too many points in a conference that that is known for its parity between two teams that have played a ton of close games over the years. And by the way, Oklahoma State since 2010, uh, nine and four against Texas. It's just that seems like way too many points. And I understand the love for Texas nationally. And I watched what they did to Texas Tech last Friday night. And I was a big Texas fan that night. But I don't know that that necessarily translates uh, whenever you're looking at this game with all the pressure that they have against a much better opponent. So I think that that 15 and a half point line is a good bit off whether Oklahoma State wins the game or not. Yeah, I certainly agree with just the scenario, the matchup, the setting. And I think the reason people are, are saying that, Colby, is because of, you know, the matchup of, you know, the marquee matchup in this game is Ollie Gordon, uh, nation's leading rusher, going against the number one run defense in the country. That's what Texas has been. And they, it's going to be a unique matchup for Oklahoma State's offense, Colby, because Texas, unlike BYU and Houston's of the world, they don't have to commit as many numbers going forward. So I think that's why a lot of the sharps, why a lot of the money's come in is, it's tough to see an avenue for Oklahoma State moving the football for folks that don't watch them on a weekly basis. And you and I do. And I think one thing that's going really, I mean, we'll, we'll have to wait and see if Ollie Gordon's going to have any success running the football if the offensive line can hold up. That's obviously the biggest matchup. But where I think in that line you mentioned and why it's skewed and and reason why it's skewed is I don't think people have realized how well Oklahoma State's receivers have have played the last few weeks. Obviously, Brennan Presley against Houston was just lights out. Couldn't they couldn't cover him? Couldn't tackle him. I mean, he could. It seemed like every time he caught it, he was going to take it to the house. Leon Johnson's emergence has been pivotal for this run, and Rashad Owens to me has been one of the better receivers in the Big Twelve. And I don't think people have really talked about that or realized that nationally. So I think people, Colby, are just looking at the matchup of Ollie Gordon, number one run defense. Oh, she's going to lose. Yeah, I think you might be right. And, and I listed the accomplishments of Texas receiving core. Oklahoma State might not have the names. They might not have the hardware. But I think these two receiving cores are pretty close. And for this game Saturday, I, I get it. Ali versus the Texas defensive line. That the, the front seven for Texas. 
that's an advantage that you're going to give to Texas there, right? We, we've got to see Oklahoma State do it against this caliber of an opponent. I think most people do to believe it. This is the Alan Bowman game. Carson, he, he threw it 42 times in Bedlam. I expect no fewer Saturday against Texas. I, I think he's going to have to air it out a bunch, and those receivers are going to need to be good again. This will be a nice reprieve from some weather that Oklahoma State has played in the last few weeks. It'll obviously be perfect down there in Jerry's world. And I think Alan Bowman, I think he's going to have to step back there and throw the ball 45 times. You're going to need Owens and Presley and, and Leon Johnson, uh, Jaden Bray. You're going to need those guys to come up big. Again, Josiah Johnson had a monster catch last week. I, I really think that Oklahoma State through the air can surprise some people because for anybody who didn't watch Bedlam and see a 27 to 24 score and Ollie ran for 137 and two touchdowns, they probably think that that was kind of a slog of a game and Oklahoma State kept it on the ground. Bowman threw that ball 42 times, uh, 28 completions for 334 yards. Half of his 14 throw uh, incompletions were probably throwaways. I just think it's really going to come down to using the pass to set up the run, much like what we saw in Bedlam. And I think we're going to see 40-plus pass attempts again for Alan Bowman. And Oklahoma State needs him to be great if they're going to win. Yeah, and I haven't even – I meant to mention off the top, we're going to have Kyle Porter on here in a few minutes, uh, the creator of Pistols Firing Blog, now one of the preeminent golf riders in the world. Uh, we're going to get Kyle's thoughts on the game. One more stat here before we get to um, uh, uniform preview and our toast of the week. If Oklahoma State gets down in this game, all hope is not lost because Texas has had three 20-point leads and narrowly escaped. Kansas State, they were up by 20, Houston and TCU, and they beat TCU by three, beat Houston on a very controversial call by seven, and um, Kansas Kansas State in overtime, they won. Let's see here. I, I lost my place, but point remains. They had 20-point leads and had to, had to eke out games in those matchups, so even if OSU gets down, Colby, they've had the kind of the opposite approach to Oklahoma State. They've been getting out to big leads and squandering them, and Oklahoma State's been making big comebacks. Uh, yeah, that, that's an encouraging stat. I, I really it, – it's nice to know that Texas has faltered a few times in that area and that Oklahoma State is very resilient and everything, and maybe that situation presents itself. And, and maybe I'm too optimistic, but I think with all the pressure on Texas – I don't see Oklahoma State digging themselves a hole like they have these past few weeks. I know I was optimistic last week. I was probably underrating. Uh, I know I was underrating BYU a little bit. I thought Oklahoma State would just kind of be able to push them around, and BYU just absolutely unloaded everything they had in the first half. And then when the adjustments were made, Oklahoma State came back and won the game. But I don't think that Texas jumps out to a big lead on Oklahoma State. I, I think it's going to take some of those bad mistakes like we've seen. And, you know, those have been kind of unique over these last couple of weeks in, in weird games, weird settings, um, bad weather a week ago. I, I don't know. Maybe it sounds like I'm making excuses. I really don't know. But I don't envision a scenario in which Oklahoma State goes to the locker room down, you know, 24 to, to, to 7 and has to figure out a way to come back in the second half. I think I think this could be a game that is is single digits throughout. Is that crazy? Not Neither team to lead by double digits all day on Saturday. Is that crazy? No, I don't. I don't think so. Again, the history of this game is is too vast for me to to think that that's crazy. That it's just going to be a good old fashioned blowout. Yeah. So I like Oklahoma State's chances to keep it close early. Um, if they do fall behind against Texas, I think that that would be tough to to come back against that good of a team with Oklahoma State's identity. But like you said, they've they've squandered leads to uh, inferior teams this year to inferior to Oklahoma State. So. Uh, Big picture, I, I think it's a, a close game between two, I won't say evenly matched teams, 
but more evenly matched than I think the narrative is playing out uh, regionally. Yeah, I think anytime everyone's picking the same team in blowout fashion, that 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 usually surprises people and goes goes a lot differently than people expected. All right, let's get to the Chris's University Spirit uniform preview brought to you by Chris's University Spirit, your one-stop cowboy shop. Be sure to shop at chrisuniversityspirit.com. Colby, Texas threw us a curveball here. They're the home team. Uh, they've chosen to wear their all-whites. I, I don't hate it. It's one of the most iconic uniforms in college football, but it lends Oklahoma State the opportunity to wear a home combination. So what – a lot more angles to go with this, Colby. What are you going with with the uniform pick this week? Yeah, a definite curveball, and I, I don't hate it at all. Texas all-whites are clean, clean, clean. So for Oklahoma State, I think you're wearing an orange shirt, right? You're, you're America's brightest orange. You're playing against the burn orange. Uh, I think you run your orange out there. I, I, I want them to go black, orange, black again. I don't know if they'll do it in consecutive weeks. I really don't know if they'll do it in consecutive weeks, but I love that look. So I'm going to ride with it. Different helmets. I'm going to go back to my prediction from a week ago. I, I think they're going to go back to the black, orange, black. And I think they're going to rock the curse of Cowboys this time. Um, and I think that that would be a great look against Texas all white. That would be fantastic. I have struggled with this all week. I, I'm with you. I, I really would like to see an orange jersey, especially fans will be wearing orange. There's going to be a lot of burnt orange in there as well. I just think it's going to be really tempting to go color rush and go black, black, black with the curse of Cowboys. Uh, maybe they throw an orange face mask on there to mix it up from a combination they've worn already this year. But I kind of, I kind of expect all black against all white. I think that would look really cool on TV. Um, but I certainly wouldn't hate any combination wearing an, wearing an orange Jersey, but I just, I'm a little too tempted to go just stark black to stark white. But I think, I think you're going to be right, but I, that, that's kind of what I would like to see. I, I want them to wear the orange shirts because I just want them to see up close in person how much better our orange is than their orange. I, I just want them to see it in full uniform, full jersey fashion. I don't want any doubts uh, left to the mind. Yeah, I, I don't hate that at all. Uh, it'd be great marketing. Yeah, get the orange on there. Uh, let's get to the Yingling Toast of the Week, brought to you by Yingling, America's oldest brewery. And in honor of Kyle Porter, who we're about to have on the show, check out the Hershey's Chocolate Porter. How about that? Were you ready <laughs> for that one, Colby? Uh, I was not ready for that. That was very nicely done by you. In honor of Kyle Porter, we're uh, going to talk about the Hershey's Chocolate Porter, uh, featuring Hershey, America's most iconic chocolate brand. Uh, these two iconic Pennsylvania brands have brought together Yingling's nearly 200-year-old dark, dark brewed porter with the original taste of Hershey's chocolate to create a deliciously smooth porter with hints of roasted malts and rich chocolate finish. I'm, I'm not a big chocolate beer or any, really any beer besides you and your standards, but, uh, I gotta say around Christmas time, that, that sounds pretty good to me, Colby. Uh, yeah, that sounds great with this weather that we've got that we had today and tomorrow, it's going to get nice next week, but then it's going to get a little dicey again. That sounds like a nice, uh, winter beer, uh, toast to you toasting. Uh, I, I've got to toast the award winners from Oklahoma State, the two guys that have gotten the headlines, the awards, and rightfully so. Ollie Gordon, Big 12 Offensive Player of the Year. Mike Gundy, Big 12 Coach of the Year. Both um, just beyond deserved. Just the, the season that Ollie's put together uh, has been incredible. And for Mike Gundy to keep this team believing after what the non-conference looked like, after losing to an Iowa State team that we didn't know was going to be any good, that quite frankly we thought 
was going to be terrible. Um, by the way, your boy Rocco Beck, offensive newcomer of the year. Did you see that? Yeah, that that take hadn't aged well either. <laughs> uh, he's he's decent. He's decent. He he's not the worst quarterback in Power Five, like I said. I I thought he was pretty good that night, but I didn't think he would go on to have the season that he would have uh, either. So I'm shocked. Uh, he's surprised, but Ollie and, and Mike Gundy. What more can you say than we've said all season? Um, the amount of praise that we have lobbed their way still is not nearly enough. It, it's very impressive. And this is uh, the culture stuff is cliche and the, the program and the work hard guys, all that stuff. It's cliche, but it, it is the system. It is what Mike Gundy has built. And this season was that. Uh, and then you mix in an elite talent like Ollie Gordon. And this is what you get. You, you get a, a historic couple of months after a disastrous September. So toast of the week to Ollie Gordon and Mike Gundy. Yep, I'm going to give mine to Brian Nardo. Again, this guy was hired from out of nowhere, and I think he's paid off dividends for Mike Gundy. And I think he he's going to be a real focal point on Saturday. I mentioned all the statistics about Texas in the red zone, the statistics about Oklahoma State's defense being so good on fourth down. I think this is a huge opportunity for him going up against Steve Sarkeesian, one of the great offensive minds in all of college football. And I have full confidence in him. Have they been lights out in the first halves? No. But they've been really, really good. And I think the offense, it's been kind of undertold how the offense hasn't been quite as good these last two, three, four games. They haven't been as efficient. Alan Bowman certainly has not been as good. His interceptions now, I think, more than his touchdown passes. Uh, he has not been great. And they've needed the defense to come through, and he has. So I'll toast Nardo, and hopefully he's 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 just spraying these chocolate porters in the locker room after the game because they just beat Texas. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that. By the, by the way, before we uh, move on and, and have Kyle join us, have you watched Bye Bye Barry on Amazon Prime? No, I need to. I have it in the queue. So not an all-time sports documentary or anything, and, and I don't know that I necessarily expected that from a personality like Barry Sanders, but a couple quick thoughts. Number one, uh, I thought it was great that he sat down and shared his thoughts and kind of told the story a little bit. For someone like me who was born in 1992, there were things in there that I learned that I didn't know. My wife surprisingly wanted to watch it with me. And she obviously, she didn't know much about Barry Sanders at all, except the way we all talk about him. And we watched the documentary and she was like, I get it. I get it. I, 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 I get it now. Um, he was, he was unbelievable. He was, there'll just never be another one. Like the way his body moved to, to make all those cuts for all those years and Never an ACL, never an Achilles, never, never any of those things. Um, he was just built a little bit differently. One of the announcers in the documentary was calling one of the games and said, when God made Barry Sanders, I don't think he even know what he did. He even knew what he did. <laughs> and uh, that's a pretty good way to put it. It was it was fun to just kind of watch and be nostalgic for an hour and a half. Yeah, I was very young, but I certainly watched Barry throughout his prime and Back then, Colby, you know, I was surrounded by Dallas Cowboy fans who tried to talk about Emmett Smith. There, there was no comparison. If Barry Sanders had run behind the Dallas Cowboys offensive line, he would he would have rushed for three thousand yards in a season. He was oh. just he was an alien. I mean, the, one of those Twitter accounts like tweeted those NFL Twitter accounts tweeted like, "Here's new Madden footage of a running back that I created with ninety nine everything." Oh wait, this is actual footage of Barry Sanders. <laughs> that's, that's, that's a good way to put it he just it didn't look real what he was doing so i'll have to check that out and of course barry always a, a great representative of oklahoma state you and i are going to make our picks but first 
Let's bring on the godfather of pistols firing. Here's Kyle Porter. All right. We are now joined by who I call the godfather of pistols firing blog. Uh, now one of the most preeminent golf riders in the world. His stuff gets aggregated on just about every golf Instagram, Twitter account you can find. It's Kyle Porter. Kyle, thanks for joining us. And I, I just got to say off the top, I'm so appreciative that you were working a desk job many, many years ago and said, you know what? I think I'm going to start an OSU website because here we are in the year 2023 and I'm still doing the podcast. It's kind of kept my toe in the sports waters and same with Colby Powell covering OSU as well. So first and foremost, welcome. And, and we're so appreciative you had that that idea so many years ago. Yeah. Thank you guys. I appreciate you having me back on. I don't know if this is like, is this like when uh, MJ returned from his baseball stint or is it more like when LeBron went back to Cleveland from Miami? <laughs> Well, it depends on how long uh, you'll keep coming on the podcast. <laughs> we'll call this. Um, we'll call this. I think. I think the baseball stint is short, sweet, but uh, star power remains. It's it's fun to be back on. It's it's funny. I saw some of the questions that you solicited on Twitter, and you know, some of them were talking about like, you know, how much do you pay attention to Oklahoma State football and and stuff like that anymore? And and the truth is, like, I. I've really kind of been out of it. I mean, I, I, we watch here and there and, and, um, my son and I get into it at times, but I've been just so immersed in the golf world over the last, you know, however many years since I sold uh, PFB, uh, it's just, it, it's, it's fun to jump back into it and, and talk about it with you guys and, and catch up on everything. Yeah. How, how big of OSU fans are your kids? I know you're, you're so busy and stuff, but I, I think you have passed that along to them. So I know you, you probably get, I think you, did you go to the big 12 championship when they lost to Baylor two years ago? Yeah, we did. My son, uh, who was seven at the time I took him and he's nine now about to be 10. And he, I can't remember if he cried. He, he either cried or got close to it. And I was like, Oh buddy, like this is, Welcome. <laughs> this, this is your baptism into, you know, not only, uh, Oklahoma state fandom, but just sports fandom, you know, it was, a, I think it was the first time he had felt like real emotion about a sporting event, which obviously we all remember from being kids. So that was a, that was kind of a sweet thing as a dad to experience, because I remember experiencing that with, with my dad or with, or with my parents. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're into it. They always want to watch Oklahoma state. Um, they're into, they've kind of been into the NFL. My, uh, now seven-year-old Jack, who's the, our youngest boy, uh, or he's about to be seven. He's very into uh, Jalen Hurts and the Eagles for reasons that I'm I don't totally understand. And uh, so we got him a Jalen Hurts jersey for Christmas last year, which he wears around Dallas, and he doesn't understand why people think in Dallas think that that's weird that he loves <laughs> Jalen Hurts. So uh, they're they kind of run the gamut in terms of their uh, their sports fandom. Yeah, as a Cowboys fan, that one hurts. Pun intended. <laughs> He's yeah. like, you're raising like a little mini Baker Mayfield. You know, he wore like OU jerseys in Austin, Texas. You're raising like the, the second coming of Baker. Well, I got to, it was funny because I got to coach uh, the older one in flag football this year. And that's a, that's an interesting world. Like being in the flag football world and he played quarterback and uh, you know, it was, it was, uh, I don't know if he's going to turn out to be as good as Baker, but it was fun to kind of jump into that, that playing world as well. Yeah, no doubt. And Kyle, we appreciate you uh, joining us. As Carson said, I, I really want to get into now while we have you um, the David versus Goliath, I guess, that we've got set up for Saturday. We've got kind of a team who, despite a slow start, has really figured things out. And then we've got the big monster 
um, all the wins, all the success. Uh, Alabama, Georgia, who do you think wins Saturday? <laughs> I thought you were talking about uh, Tony Finau and Will Zalatoris down in the Bahamas at the at the Hero World Challenge. Um, yeah, I listen. Like I again, I've caught OSU on off and on this year, and I remember early in the year. We were at, I was at a friend's house. I wasn't really paying attention. I get back home. I check my phone and they had lost. What was the South Alabama final? Like 33 to three, 33 to seven. I, I was going to ask, did you happen to catch any of our podcasts toward the end of September? So I did not, but I did. The first person I texted after I saw the final was Carson. And I, and I just said, what the hell? Ha- what is this? What am I looking at here? And I think his words were something like, uh, it's the beginning of the end. And then they end up in the big 12 championship in December. It's just, it's such a, it's such a Gundy thing for that to happen. And, uh, it's been, it's been super fun for me just to see, to see Ollie throughout the year and and to see the way that they bedlam was obviously amazing. And I mean, I, I don't know. We were talking about going over to, to Arlington to go to the game or, or whatever, but it, it it's a lot of money. And it also just feels like, is this going to, is this just going to be a route? You know, like, is this going to be a blowout? I I'm not totally sure what to expect based on what they've done so far this year. Yeah. And, and Mike Gundy was named the big 12 coach of the year, Ollie Gordon, big 12 offensive player of the year. Like the awards are rolling in now, the accolades, uh, our pods at the end of September were basically an hour and a half of what the hell is going on. It's, it's, that's pretty much all we did. Uh, <laughs> three, four, five straight weeks. And then we saw a turnaround that, I didn't think was possible. Looking back on it now, it still seems unfathomable what they accomplished in those five straight weeks and ripping off consecutive wins against Kansas State and Kansas. And, uh, you know, you mix in a win against Oklahoma up there and then what they did against BYU to break OU's hearts a second time. Uh, Mike Gundy has been really all over the map for me over the last five years. I, at times, have wanted him gone. And now I think that his Q rating with me is as high as it maybe has ever been. So just, I I guess my question would be your overall thoughts on Mike Gundy, uh, where he stands now with the Oklahoma state fan base after the way this season has played out and just what he's accomplished with getting this team to where it is. Well, I think, I think Mike Gundy broadly speaking, and this wouldn't have changed if they would have gone, you know, five and seven this year is, is, one of the best things to ever happen to Oklahoma state and and not only Oklahoma state, but to kind of my career, you know, to, to be able to cover Oklahoma state at a time when they were really like thriving, like that was really good for probably all of our careers, honestly. And I think I, and I've written about this and talked about it. I, I owe a lot of that to Mike Gundy. Um, it's interesting. I, I, I think one thing about him that is underrated is just this, I think it's really, I remember Bob Stoops back in the day talking about how like, it's really hard to be somewhere for more than 10 years for whatever reason you get complacent or the relationship just gets harder. Like it's, there's kind of this 10 year rule where you just sort of like it, it's kind of, you sometimes have to move on after that. And so I think for him to have been there for as long as he has, and to have been as successful as he has for that long, it just really speaks to his, his, desire to be really, really good. And I know that there are probably still people just as there were when I was running the website that complain about, Oh, we should be going 11 and one, we should be going 10 and two. And I, I totally understand that I've written a lot, or I did write a lot about how Oklahoma state could be Clemson. And there's some frustration there that they, 
never seemed to take it to the next level, but man, that consistency of going nine and three year in and year out, there's, there's a lot of team, there's a team down at college station that would, uh, that has spent a lot of money trying to do just that, uh, for the last 15 years. Yeah. And I certainly would echo all those sentiments. I continue to say Mike's, you know, he's a, he's a hall of famer. I mean, you just go through his resume. It, it speaks for itself. And yeah, I was, uh, I, my, my takes didn't age well in September. Uh, my Iowa takes have aged like a fine wine. We'll, we'll get to those. Um, but I, I'm curious, Kyle, I know you haven't watched a ton of OSU this year, but I'm sure you've seen the highlights of Ollie Gordon. And yeah. for my money, Kyle, you and I have talked so much about, you know, those, those Des like guys that just, OSU just didn't used to have. And while his stats speak for themselves in terms of leading the nation and rushing, for me, Kyle, he, he kind of transcends just his numbers in terms of this is one of the best players OSU's ever had. I, yeah. I, I keep I continue to say I think he's the best player since Justin Blackman overall. And I think you gotta go back to the eighties into terms of to find a running back as, as good as he's been. And I'm just curious your thoughts on Ollie and just he just kind of reminds me a lot of what you and I used to talk about a bunch with Des, where he's just he's just a different different level of athlete than OSU usually has. Yeah, I totally agree. We were watching BYU, the BYU game on Saturday, and it was it would be it became funny at one point because you know toward the end of the game and in overtime, you you just everybody in the stadium, including BYU, knew that Ollie was was getting the ball, and they kept giving it to him, and he kept scoring. And they ran some like fake stuff out of that, and yeah, I thought there were some kind of fun plays that they ran off of him with him as the decoy, but for the most part they just kept feeding him and he seemed to be getting better as the game went on, which was, I mean, it's, it's, it's a remarkable thing. I, I'm curious. You've, you've watched obviously more of him than I have. How much better is he than, cause he's so, he's so big. He's so different than like a Kendall Hunter, right? Like where, where it's this really small kind of shifty guy always seems a lot bigger, more like a Joseph Randall, probably even bigger than that. How, how different is he than a Joseph Randall? Well, I think, Colby kind of compared him to Randall. I and at first I I pushed back a little just because Randall was so so much like a receiving type back too. He was he had the best hands on the team, but then I see Holly Gordon against Houston splitting out wide and running like a perfect slant route for like 15, 20 yards. I'm like, I mean, maybe it, I mean, what can't the guy do? I I think he reminds me a lot of Le'Veon Bell. That's been a comparison that's been thrown around. A, a taller back that kind of waits to find a hole that's really not there. And, and that touchdown he had that was completely stopped that he went the other way. Yeah. He's built kind of like a Chris Carson. I mean, Chris Carson was probably probably bigger in terms of muscle mass, but he's just kind of a he's kind of unique to where it's it's hard to draw a true comparison to him, but I would I would compare him to a Chris Carson type in terms of Oklahoma State. Yeah, he plays very I don't know how tall he actually is. He plays very tall. Like he just looks like he's I don't think he is like 6-4, but he looks 6-4 when he's running and Man, it's, I think you're right. Like, I don't know what his, um, you know, rankings or anything like that were coming out of high school in terms of recruiting, but he is, he is special. And I think that's the one thing where you get into Saturday and let's say you're down seven at halftime or something like that. You've, you've got the best player on the field, right? Like you've got the best guy on the field, arguably, is there a way to, I remember the, uh, the Bedlam game in, uh, what was it? 2017 where you had Baker and you had, uh, 
you had all these different guys and justice Hill was the best player on the field. And OSU just kept feeding him and he was awesome. Like he was unbelievable. And can you get it close enough to where you can just feed Ollie and maybe Texas can't stop him. I don't know. Like that's how good he is though, is that he, he makes you think this could be, he could be good enough to beat Texas by himself. Uh, you know, if you run some stuff, uh, some, some play action and some fake stuff out of that, and that's a that's an unusual thing, I think, for a for a college uh, position player. Yeah, that Justice Hill Bedlam memory is a little painful when I start to remember uh, the number of handoffs he got on the final drive of the game, which was zero. So that was that was a little tough that day. Hopefully, it'll go better this Saturday. Texas actually offered Ollie Gordon Kyle the day before signing day. He's a consensus four-star prospect. Oklahoma State was in on him early, commits to Oklahoma State. Texas offers him the day before signing day. And Ollie Gordon has talked about that. He talked about it earlier in the week. And, and he's like, look, they weren't really watching me. Somebody else said no. So they came in the day before. I was committed to Oklahoma State. But I, I don't know. There's just this. I, I think that that situation paints a larger picture of the two programs, right? Oklahoma State is trying to get a program-changing guy that they get in on early, that commits to them, sticks around, pays his dues, and then becomes a star. Texas just has a bunch of four and five stars on their list, and when one decommits, they reach out to the other one the day before signing day. And I feel like that is a picture of the two programs as a whole that Oklahoma State has tried to build something, put something in the oven, and bake it at 425 for four hours, and Texas tries to throw things in the microwave and have success. And over the last 10, 15 years, uh, really, I guess, since the 09 National Championship game, it hasn't worked for Texas. So is this team different? Are they back? Is Sark the guy? Like all the questions we've been asking about Texas, and now they have an 11-1 team that seems to be legitimately good. I, I guess I'm asking, do you think Texas this year or in the next few under Sarkeesian can be legitimately great? I mean, they, they should be able to. I think one thing that's interesting about that story is it it's kind of a two-way street, right? It takes the 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 athlete, the player that's being recruited, it takes some maturity, maturity as Gundy would say, to uh to to see what's happening, to understand what's happening, because all of a sudden Texas rolls in and and you kind of get that, you know, you get you get uh, so it's alluring, right? It's, it's a very alluring thing. If you're an 18 year old high school senior, it would have been for me, you know? And, and, and so I think that's the type of player that Gundy obviously wants is somebody that's mature, that um, understands what's going on, that uh, doesn't get, is not too excitable. I'm sure he, I've, I haven't heard him talk about Ollie. I'm sure he's just in love with him. Probably never says a word, all that stuff. Um, yeah, I, Texas. I I don't know. I mean, I it it the, the Texas is back thing almost became like it, it became such a meme that it was like it turned into a reality. <laughs> like it be, it became so used that it <laughs> it just became uh, like truth. Like they they kind of are back. Like they're very good. And and I think I, the interesting part since I've stopped covering college football is how volatile the transfer portal makes everything right and so if you can get um i mean we see it right now with like kj jefferson from arkansas jumping in what if he goes to you know like i don't know what if he goes to ohio state like they're the, the kid that they had playing quarterback last or a couple of weeks or that they've had all season kyle mccord is that his name 
Yeah, McCord. He's not good. Like he's, he, I mean, I, from what I've watched, he's not that good. So it, there's just so much, so much that's different now. I feel like about college football that I'm not totally sure how you build that great program. And I know Gundy's had a lot of frustration with that, but it does seem like Texas is at least moving in the right direction because I, I think that. I don't know. Sometimes you just have to let things settle a little bit and everybody wants to win year one, year two of a coach. And it's like, well, let's give it like four or five years and, and see what happens. That's what happened with, with Gundy, right? Like they didn't start really winning until, uh, until 2010. And that was six years in, they were building something, but um, it seems like Texas is at least headed in that direction, in that direction right now. Yeah. They just had to figure out quarterback. I mean, since Colt McCoy, they just had, just terrible quarterback play, terrible offense. And uh, I do want to get back to that, that comparison you you made, and we talked so many so many hours and minutes about what Oklahoma State football can be. And I, I, I still just love the comparison of Clemson and Oklahoma State in terms of a small college town, rural area. We're entering a new era now with Texas and Oklahoma leading. The Big 12 obviously has brought in all these teams, Kyle. It presents an even better opportunity, I feel like, for Oklahoma State to position themselves. I mean, are they going to be Clemson, you know, going to the Final Four every year? No, but could they elevate their standards even higher now that they're? I think they're arguably the best job in the Big Twelve. I mean, you could certainly argue for Utah and some other schools, but your thoughts on Oklahoma State football moving into this new era of the Big Twelve and what they can be? Yeah, I just I don't know if. Well, I don't know what the landscape is going to be, right? It's changing so much. I, I, I honestly couldn't even tell you what the conference is. Are, are USC and UCLA going to the Big Ten in 2024? Yes. Yes. <laughs> okay, so that's next year. So I, the landscape is just so different, or it's going to be so different. And I think the thing for me, Carson, is like, so this this is Gundy's, what, eight, 18th year, 17th year? Uh, Something like that. Five, so 18 or 19, 05 through 18. This is 19th year, I believe. Oh, so, yeah, 19. So, I, so I guess my rebuttal is like, if it hasn't happened, and, and, it's, and it's not even that it hasn't happened, it's that he's kind of actively worked against it happening, which I feel like is the source of a lot of our frustration, where he's kind of been like, yeah, we're actually not trying to get like the five-star guys. Like he's literally, I don't know if he's literally said that sentence, but he said something very similar many, many times. And so I guess my question back to you would be, if it didn't happen for the first 17 or 18 years, is it really going to happen in year 19, 20, 21, just because of the the shifting landscape uh, of the conference? And I mean, it could, or, or I guess maybe the the response to that is like, well, how, how long does Gundy have left? Maybe they bring somebody else in eventually and, and then it happens potentially. Yes. But with just how much everything has changed in terms of like what the conference looks like. I just don't know if you can say with any certainty that that's, that that's going to happen over the next five or six years. Yeah. I mean, Mike has changed his tune on the portal. I think he's going to get better with that in terms of, you know, not letting guys leave as, as readily as it seemed in years past, but I think you're right. I don't think they're going to all of a sudden start recruiting five stars and four stars left and right. That's just not Mike's model, but I think the success he's had, in a big 12 with OU and Texas, those two behemoths, they're gone. I just think the overall level of success, then you throw in the 12 team playoff where we're not dealing with the helmet logo situation of a 14 playoff. Mm -hmm. I just think they're going to be on a much bigger stage more often. And maybe just maybe even winning at a higher clip, which seems crazy because Mike's, you know, put together so many 10 straight 10, 10 win seasons. 
Well, I think what's interesting about that is with OU and Texas going to the SEC, it's not as if the SEC is necessarily going to elevate their recruiting, right? They already recruit at an SEC level. And so they're not taking like, like if, if uh, let's say Texas tech went to the SEC, well, then all of a sudden, just because they're in the SEC, they're taking guys that Oklahoma state otherwise might have a chance to get right but with OU and Texas, that doesn't really change. So you're still going to get the same or hopefully better guys. So I, I think what you're saying does have some merit of like, hey, this is an opportunity for Oklahoma State to really kind of rule a conference or run a conference um, in, in a way that, you know, they they haven't. It, it's almost like uh, it's almost like. Lincoln Riley leaving OU to go to USC where he was like, Oh, the path to the playoff is a lot easier at USC than it, than it was at, uh, you know, at OU entering the sec. I, I think for Oklahoma state, the path to dominance in a conference is a lot easier with OU and Texas going to the sec and them remaining in the big 12 than it otherwise would be. Yeah, I think so too. It's one of the infinite list of reasons that I'm so happy to see them go. Cannot wait for them to leave. And I'm glad. <laughs> Uh, and I'm glad that we were the ones that kept them out of the conference championship game. Oh, that was the best. Oh, so good. And, and to beat them in Bedlam and to beat them the way you beat them, I hope they never stop talking about the missed pass interference. <laughs> I love it so much. Um, it's the reason I, I, under no circumstances, did I want a Bedlam rematch in the Big 12 championship game. But now you have the chance, Kyle, to do the double and send OU and Texas both to the SEC with losses. And maybe I'm making a little bit too much of it in the macro, but I really think for Oklahoma State as a program, national perception moving forward, I think if you could beat OU and Texas in the conference championship game, the, the final year of the conference, I think that would make people nationally view you a little bit differently as like, okay, yes, OU and Texas are leaving, but Oklahoma State beat OU two of the last three years in there. They, they won the last conference championship over Texas. And I think nationally winning this game on Saturday could put Oklahoma State in a little bit different place in people's minds. Am I making too big of a deal out of that? Or do you think that there's going to be some lingering effects uh, positively for Oklahoma State if they were to pull off the upset Saturday? Well, I, I think what it does is I don't know if it changes the minds of fans or media members or anything like that. I think it's a it's a great recruiting tool. Right. When, when you go to recruit in the next year or talk about the portal or whatever, you can say, hey, those two teams that are going to SEC. Yeah, we we just beat both of them. And, uh, you know, that's the level that we're playing at is at an SEC level. One of my favorite stats, Colby, for so long was uh, and I don't know if this is true anymore, but when I was running the site for for a while there, Oklahoma State and Texas had the exact same record since Mike Gundy took over Oklahoma State. I think I was, that was in like 2019 or tw as recently as 20, uh, maybe 2018, 2019, 2020, kind of in that range. And Texas had obviously won a national championship, played for another one. Uh, they, they, now they had had some down years too in there and probably played a better overall schedule, but I, that was like, man, that would be a talking point that I'd be using going. And maybe they were going out and, and recruiting is like, Hey, we're, we're, we are the Texas of the big 12 or that's what our record says, you know? And, and um, yeah, I, I definitely think that could be a talking point. I, I don't know if it changes. I think the perception of the big 12 and of Oklahoma state just kind of is what it is for fans, but for the future of recruiting for the future of building Oklahoma state, I, I definitely think that that is a, a very positive thing. 
All right, Kyle, you're a busy man. Tiger uh, Woods played golf today. I know you got to talk on CBS, but two quick questions. We have one Twitter question for you to answer from our man, Justin Southwell. Thoughts on the new uniforms? And uh, do you have a new favorite uniform combo uh, uh, with these new threads that they got? And then we'll get your pick and we'll get you out of here. The the uniforms are amazing. Like my son and I talk about this all the time. We we He loves Oregon's uniforms, obviously, and, but he loves Oklahoma State's as well. And I, I think they've done, I mean, think about how bad they were in like the less miles era, Carson <laughs> alarm clock numbers. Oh, it was, it was, what was the, what was the logo that they had with like the stick figure? Do you remember that? The stick figure. I remember the yeah. flaming brand. I don't know about no, the... no, 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 no. Oh it was, it... yeah. Yeah. The, Oh, the brand of the, brand? the brand of the Jersey, like all in or all ball or something yeah, like that. It was, it was bad. <laughs> It was so bad. I mean, the 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 distance that they've come in terms of like the quality of their uniforms, it's it's awesome. I'm trying to remember. Um, I love the they've had some it I don't know if this is actually true. It seems like they've had some different variations of orange over the years. Like they look one way, like they look darker sometimes when they get sweaty, sometimes they look light. I think the orange they have right now is is it's it looks different than it has in the past. I think it's perfect. I wouldn't change it. It's awesome. Uh, I'm obviously um, I obviously lean toward the tricolor, like the black, orange, white. I think they wore that earlier this year. I can't remember exactly when. Um, black, white, orange. The famous Iowa State. Black, white, orange. Yes, I like that one also, but I I like black, orange, white as well. Did they do black, orange, white? They did do another couple tricolors. I think against West Virginia, maybe, and then um, my UCF, memory's failing like, oh, me. Gosh, I don't know. We'd have to go back and look now. Do you like the tricolors? This, this is great. This is great. Uh, great radio. <laughs> um, I'm trying to find this year. Yeah, all of them. Oh, maybe this is, yeah, they did black, white, orange against West Virginia. That was, that was fantastic. And the fact that the black numbers on the white, I I'm a big fan of, I think that looks very good. Yeah. They have two white jerseys with different colored numbers to match the pants. Just, just chef's kiss. All right, Colby or uh, Kyle, give us your pick. And then I think Colby had a, a tiger question for you before you get out of here. <laughs> um, I like the block Oklahoma state also, by the way, that's such a, such a great look. Uh, pick on Saturday. I, I don't know. It feels like everybody is just so heavily on Texas. I'm going to, I'm going to take Oklahoma state. Oklahoma state has beaten Texas so many times when they shouldn't have dating back to what 2010, when they went down there with Whedon and and that crew, I'm going to say Oklahoma state wins 34 to 28 on Saturday. I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, the game's a little rusty. The body looks great. He doesn't look like he's in a lot of pain. Is Tiger or Kyle? <laughs> My body's also rusty. Are we finally going to uh, kick that compiler Sam Sneed down to number two on the list? Well, first of all, Sam Sneed's uh, eighty-two wins need to be uh, need to be uh, what's it called when you go audited? They need to be audited. Seventy-seven because. There's some wins in there that are like, I mean, you know, Carson and I could have been competitive in some of the tournaments that that he gets credit for on the PGA Tour, but five I, of team wins. I think five were team events. Yeah, it, it's it's kind of a joke, but I I don't think Tiger Woods is going to win again on the PGA Tour. I don't think he's going to win a major. I will say 
I've, I've been, I've been saying that for like two years now. And this week has given me some pause because he has looked so good. Now he didn't play great today, which whatever, I don't care about shooting a 75 on November 30th, uh, you know, at the end of the year, but the body, the body looks, it looks good. Like he looks fit. He looks healthy. He looks like he's not, you know, struggling to get through 18 holes, which is what he's looked like for the last few years. So I just, I, it's just so hard for me, Colby to envision even somebody as great as tiger was being good enough to beat because the only tournaments he's going to play are going to have all the best guys, right? Can you beat Vic? Can you beat Victor Hovland? Can you beat Scotty Scheffler? Can you beat Rory Rom Spieth? All these guys in the same tournament. I, that's just, I don't know, man, that's a different level of play that I don't know if he can, if he can um, get enough tournaments in to kind of rise to that level. If it happens, I will weep harder than your nine-year-old did when he realized <laughs> what it's like to be an Oklahoma State fan. Carson, what's your opinion? Uh, I'm with I'm with you, Kyle. I just his body's too too broken. I, I will say it's funny when he injures his legs, he comes back looking like Thor in the upper body. Like he, he just gets super jacked because all he does He's, is arm workouts when his knees he, and ankles are broken. He looks like Laron Landry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. All right, Kyle, you're busy, man. I know you got to get on CBS Sports HQ again. Once again, man, um, I've always enjoyed doing this podcast with you. I, I truly love you, and uh, thanks for coming on. And hopefully uh, they're happy tears on Saturday. Thank you, For Kyle. sure. Love you too, Carson, and uh, appreciate you guys having me on. All right, that's Kyle Porter. We appreciate his time. Again, I just can't say enough good things about him. I, I miss his 10 thoughts on OSU games. Uh, I, I'll certainly read Marshall's, but Kyle – Kyle just has a unique way of writing about golf that is just so entertaining and it's fun to watch his career take off the way that it has. And again, Colby, if he hadn't started this, this website, while well, he had a desk job in, in Dallas, who, who knows what you and I'd be doing. We wouldn't be talking about a, a Oklahoma state near as much. That's for sure. Yeah. You call him the godfather of pistols firing and that's a great way to put it. Um, this podcast has been a great thing that came into my life whenever I stopped doing radio. It's allowed me to kind of continue to have a voice, um, talk about Oklahoma State sports, which is one of the few things in sports that I still really love and have that deep attachment to. Um, and it's allowed you and I's friendship to flourish over these last few years. So uh, yeah, Kyle starting that way back in the day has impacted many, many lives. And uh, he's just the goat. I love reading his stuff and hopefully he'll get to write some, some fun things about Tiger next year. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully so. All right, uh, let's get to our picks. Colby, Big 12 Championship, Oklahoma State, 15-point underdogs. Everyone knows the the tail of the tape here with Ollie Gordon against that defense. What's your pick, and, and how do you see this one playing out? Yeah, I've wrangled with this a lot. It's, it's not a pick that I've taken lightly. Big 12 Championship game, major underdog. Um, I do think Oklahoma State is going to compete in this game. I, like I said earlier, I don't think either team – stretches it out to a big lead. I think it's mostly going to be a single digit game throughout. Maybe a team pops up quickly by 10 or 14 and then the other team answers. I think I have to be a little bit of a stick in the mud in the trenches. Oklahoma state has gotten a little beat up on the offensive line over this last month of the season. Texas is just so big on both lines. Um, I just don't know if Oklahoma state can do enough outside of Texas being able to win in the trenches for Oklahoma State to come away with this one. I truly hope I'm wrong. I'm giving my honest prediction on what I think is going to happen in this game. And I think 
Texas is going to win 37 to 31. So uh, I hope I'm wrong, but at, at the when, when all said and done Saturday in Arlington, I think that they're just going to be a little bit too big on both lines, and that's going to be the difference. Yeah, I think that's certainly the case. Um, I do think Oklahoma State's going to surprise some people in the first half. I think they get out to a lead, and all of a sudden Texas is sitting there going, oh, what, what's going on? Like, we, we're supposed to go to the playoff. What's going to happen here? I, I think Oklahoma State's receivers are going to surprise them. I mentioned that. I don't think they can cover Brennan Presley. I, I really hope they get him involved the way they did against Houston. And I think Leon Johnson's size in the red zone is going to pose real problems for them. And Rashad Owens, I think those three guys, if Oklahoma State wins the game, I think it's those three guys that that do it. Uh, I love Ollie, but I, I think he's got a tall task in front of him against Texas, as we all know. I am with you. I'm a little concerned about the offensive line. He took a sack against BYU. They haven't been as good up front protecting him as of late. But I just, this scene, as I've mentioned, is ripe for upsets. And Oklahoma State is so much better than people give them credit for. Do I think they're great? No, I think there's a reason they've gotten down some games. But they're certainly capable of beating Texas. Again, I don't think Texas is up there with Georgia and Alabama. I just think in the end, I think I think Oklahoma State gets out to a lead, and I think they just start to get worn down by Texas by the end of the game. And I think I think Texas has to really pull one out of the fire here. I, I really do. Um, I predict – their kicker, who has been just amazing, kicks a field goal to win the game in the last few minutes. I, I got Texas 34, Oklahoma State 31. I I can't pick Oklahoma State for the simple fact that I just don't think they're as good as Texas, but I certainly think they can win this game, and I certainly think they're a lot better than people are giving them credit for. I do not think it will be a blowout. Could it be? Yeah. If, if Oklahoma State turns the ball over, it's it could definitely be a blowout. But if Oklahoma State does what they've done on defense, turning the ball over as much as they have, locking them down on fourth downs, I think Sark's going to go for it a lot in this game. If they keep doing the things they've been doing defensively, Trey Rucker's all over the place. Um, I think this game could be very interesting. I think Oklahoma State had a chance to win in the last few minutes. But I can't in good faith pick Oklahoma State just because they are they are overmatched in some areas. But I expect a good game, and I expect uh, – I expect Oklahoma State to have a, another heartbreaker in Jerry World. I hate to say it. Yeah, we're very similar there on our scores, both having Oklahoma State with 31 and then uh, 37 and 34 for Texas. One thing we haven't talked about, and nobody's going to talk about it, and nobody's going to care about it until it matters on Saturday, two of the best kickers in the country. If either guy misses in indoors at Jerry's World, uh, that will be a kind of a turning point in the game because both teams rely heavily on great kickers. Yep, I agree. Also, watch out for Josiah Johnson. He gets involved in big moments, it seems like. Uh, I think he could be kind of an underrated player, under-the-radar player that really comes through. In the Because they're going to need guys in the passing game, Colby, plain and simple. We know Ollie's going to get his his yards. I, I expect him to get over 100, even against Texas. But they have to have success throwing it, and I'd, I'd look for him too. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, any final thoughts? Are you uh, ready? I got to run here soon, but um... – Again, I, I'm so proud of Oklahoma State fans. These tickets sold out as soon as they made the game. Uh, I think it's going to be an electric atmosphere. I wish I was going. But uh, this is a game where, you're right, Colby, they're playing with house money. It's going to be a – there's several moments that I can recall being an Oklahoma State guy that I've been in the stadium and just looked around and just seen – I've seen how far this program has come under Mike Gundy. Saturday, win, lose, or draw, that, that, that is going to be one of those moments where you sit back – and you just think, wow, 
Oklahoma State is one of the preeminent football programs in the country. They're top 10 in wins since 2010 or 2008, rather. That's how far back. So it's it's going to be fun. It's going to be great advertisement for Oklahoma State. And let's roll the dice, Colby, playing with house money. Yeah, let's do it. I love it. Uh, yeah, my parents will be going down there to the game. We are watching it. You're welcome to join. You're in, This is your official invite. So uh, text me if y'all are free. I'll let well, you last know. time I did that, they got blown out by Kansas. We might have to just stay away for, for jinx purposes. That's a good point. And then was it the... No, it wasn't the UCF day that we played golf. We played golf on the Houston day. So that was. Well, we overcame that. So maybe. Yeah, maybe that kind of half got us back on track since we watched half of that game together. But uh, for those asking, I can see your DMs in my inbox. I still do not have access to my Twitter. I've gotten a survey from Twitter asking how their service was, but no one's actually reached out to help me. So that's just a beautiful scenario that I'm working with there. Appreciate everyone for listening as always. Appreciate Kyle Porter for joining us. And hopefully we're back in a few days recapping a big win for Oklahoma State. Everyone have a great weekend. Careful getting to the game and back. As always, go Pokes!